0: This is Claudia Gray, and you're listening to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, this is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them.
1: Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello. I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my co-host. She is cooler than Baby Yoda standing in the come fight me pose that Yoda does when he pulls out his lightsaber, but it's Baby Yoda. Okay, guys, think about that. It's Lindsay.
0: Oh, okay, wait, question. Is his lightsaber a full-size lightsaber, or is it a little tiny baby lightsaber?
1: It's a little tiny baby lightsaber, and just to make it even better, he holds it in a reverse grip like Ahsoka.
0: Oh, stop it. My little heart.
1: So he, like, starts out with the Yoda pose, and then he, oh, like, changes it. i my
0: Yoda heart. And then he just, oh, love it.
1: And we are also here with a very special guest. She is coming to us from the unknown regions. She had to m- go through all of that red stuff and things that you have to fly through. I don't know what it's called. It's red stuff and things. It's Michelle. Hello. How are you, Michelle?
2: I'm pretty good. And you know what? In this here book, they tell you what that red stuff and is It's like it's red called.
1: honeycomb or something, right?
2: It's something... They- Talk, you know what? You talk amongst yourselves. I'll look it up. I bet you, yeah.
1: You have <laughs> it's a page mark.
0: Many, many post its.
1: <laughs> if you're wondering what book she's talking about, she's talking about the Rise of Skywalker novelization because that is what we are talking about on this episode today. And if you have not listened uh, before, when we have talked about really basically anything Ray we kind of have to have Michelle on. I think it's contract something like that i don't know lawyers are handling it's definitely
0: it definitely in my it's in my contract <laughs> yeah for sure.
1: but this is the first time I mean, we've had I you on say
0: the... oh yeah it is on don't burn but you know i was gonna add it's not even just raylo it is ben or kylo really yeah You've got the whole gambit if it is adam driver involved <laughs> michelle needs to be here
2: yeah it's like i said it's in my contract sorry i have a cough drop Um, It's in my contract. And any time Adam Driver's name is said within about a five-mile radius, I just pop up out of the ground like a groundhog. What did you say? (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? Anyway, okay, it is called the Red Honeycomb Zone of Exotic Space. Some called it the Blood Net. Others called it the Ship Eater.
1: Yeah, I hated that. Um, Just going to put that out there now. I hated that, (laughs) but whatever. Uh, But no. Michelle, this is the first time we have had you on any of our podcasts since you started your own little endeavor in the Unknown Regions. So tell us about that.
2: Oh, well, um, Unknown Regions is a podcast I do with my son, my adult 20 year old son, who and it's becoming very convenient to do now because uh, he's out of school and back at home. So pretty much now, anytime anything happens in Star Wars world, I'm just like, okay let's go record
0: why not just shout upstairs we're yep. bored
2: <laughs> let's just go record um yeah if i can pull him away from the ps4 that is because that's usually what he's doing but anyway um yeah we just talk about pretty much anything and everything there's no schedule here we just do whatever
1: and when she <laughs> says pretty much everything and anything she means pretty much everything and anything kylo ren uh adam driver specific. Well,
0: especially though. or music music music, Ooh, music i yeah. have to say yeah which That's is true. fantastic for me because I really don't have the ear that you guys do so getting any kind of insights from you and Colin is amazing mostly too because there are so many people who can speak eloquently about music especially John Williams music and it just goes right over my head but hearing you guys talk about it especially with the passion that you do it's like oh alright I get that that makes sense Aww. Thank you. Actually,
2: when he talks, it goes right over my head, too, mostly. And I, I have to have him brilliant.
0: He's draw absolutely me pictures
1: brilliant.
2: of what the heck he's talking about. I'm like, I don't speak music theory. Sorry, I don't go to the DePaul School of Music like some uppity people do. Hey,
1: speaking of uppity, I've been promised a philosophy episode for uh, 11 episodes now, and it hasn't happened. Okay, so plane tickets are, are cheap. I'm going to fly up there and I'm going to make things happen.
2: Uh, Please please do. (laughs) Please. You're welcome anytime. As long as you, you know, get the Silkwood shower beforehand and before you come in my house. Right. Um, Um, But he keeps teasing that and I keep teasing the Throne Room episode. And it's just like a recurring joke now. Like, when are we going to do the the philosophy episode in the Throne Room episode? (laughs) They're going to happen eventually, although it's pretty funny when we're just like, yeah, it's going to happen. And then it doesn't happen for another month. It goes back. <laughs> Especially after you just touted how easy it is for you guys to just start recording. I know. Well, the reason I feel that those two episodes haven't happened yet is because they actually require some research in mm-hmm. intent rather than just coming down to the basement and blabbering about whatever for an hour and a half you know i have to research these things these are big topics so it's
0: true we'll give we'll give that to you
2: it'll happen i swear
1: so i don't remember what episode it was on because i've listened to like three in a row i think
2: um wow you must be sick of the sound of my voice
1: You pretty much but you know my ears <laughs> stopped bleeding after about four or five hours it's good um <laughs> You, I don't remember which episode... Oh, it was the the Bad Batch review that you guys did. You mentioned hating Mace Windu, which, of course, we know I hate Mace Windu also. But guess what, guys? I'm being a bigger person. Guess what book I'm reading right now? Oh. What
0: book are you reading right I'm now? I'm
1: reading Shatterpoint right now. Wow. Yeah. I How's it st- going? I yeah. still hate Mace Windu. <laughs> uh, but also... Matthew Stover is the best and he gives like reasons for why Mace Windu is the way he is. And like something that really honestly kind of blew my mind was like Mace internally acknowledging that his struggle as a Jedi was that he likes to fight and that he, uh, he likes the violence. So honestly, really enjoying the book. I'm really enjoying the book. So uh, that's what I have been reading lately. What have you ladies been reading?
0: I went a little bit nerdy. B, I think I told you this earlier this week. You know, but I nerdy. What are you talking I, about? I. Oh no, I mean nerdy. Um, actually, I think I still have it here. I decided to. Uh, Kick it a little old school with some time off and reread some Shakespeare. So my one rule was it couldn't be much ado about nothing because I have read that so many times. So I've been going through uh, The Merchant of Venice today.
2: Wow. That's
0: not nerdy. That's like
2: brainiac. Hardcore.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's so weird because I, I started when I was like 14 years old working at a Shakespeare festival. So I saw a lot of the plays, but then didn't read them until like eight years later, and now I don't know. I haven't picked up a lot of them in about ten years, so figured it would be a nice little thing to revisit in my quarantine. Well, I can't hold a candle to that. I've just been reading comic books. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Definitely Sorry, a better choice. Sorry to disappoint. Well, actually, I'm, re- I'm rereading the Rise of Kylo Ren series now that it's complete, because I think we're going to do uh, an episode on that. I mean, it's Kylo Ren. Of course, we have to do an episode on that. I was
0: just gonna- <laughs> I expected it. Yeah, Yeah, I-, I read them each individually when they came out. I haven't, though, since gone back and reread all of them together. That's actually a good call. I might steal that from you.
1: I um, yeah, haven't read anyone.
0: You haven't read
2: that
1: at I, all? I haven't read anyone but the first one, but I have the uh, trade paperback on, uh, on pre-order. So. Okay,
2: well, I won't say anything then. Yeah, I'm Unless holding out.
1: No, I really, like, I want to read it, but I also really hate on my Kindle app, when I have like the Galaxy's Edge one, for example, and I've got like five issues and I have to go, I know this is first world problems, but the Kindle app does not organize your comics very well, in my opinion, because it just does it alphabetically instead of doing it by series. So when I like I'm looking at something like that, I have to go find which one's number two or which one's number three. And they're not very clearly marked, uh, which makes it difficult sometimes. So I prefer having the trade paperback just because it's less to have to sort through. So I'm excited to do that. Uh, That's, like, one of my main ones. You know, I I was listening to an interview uh, today with one of the uh, writers of a new, um, what are they called? That Galaxy of Adventures. Is it Star Wars Adventures? The one from... uh, Star
0: Wars Adventures,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's there's one about uh, the Wolfpack coming out April 1st, I believe, is the first issue. So... I think I need to go through and, and uh, see which ones of those I've missed because I know I've missed some of those and they're fun stories. So, um.
0: That's hard to do, too, because you can easily just hop into certain stories without having read any of the other ones. So you kind of got to be a little picky about which ones you pick up and
1: spend your time with on those. Yeah, I mean – I think it's, it kind of depends on... For me, it kind of depends on the characters that are involved, you know? Um, like, the one with Hera, even though it's not a really, like, big story. I really enjoyed it. Um, but, I don't know. i am kind of been a little selective about the comics that I've read lately, just because Afra has really disappointed me as of late. Uh, oh, man. And, and I like the character, but just the content itself, I'm just it's too again like for me star wars isn't sci-fi it's fantasy it's mythology so once it gets too sci-fi i kind of check out but some people love it so i mean keep it going um i'm excited for the new uh star wars series you know that's going in between empire and return of the jedi because i think that's a really interesting time period especially for Luke you know dealing with those personal issues and not having his friend Han around uh Leia being probably a little emotionally distant because Han's not there so just kind of that whole dynamic of uh how they they still stick together but also have these these personal struggles that they're going on is something that fascinates me so I'm excited about that uh do we have any any real book news, Lindsay? Any big releases? Have we, we have we talked about High Republic? We
0: No, not on this actually. You're right. And I'm so worried that with everything going on now, even that's going to get delayed. But hopefully we don't have to wait too much longer or at least start getting a little bit more information. Um I mean, i I'm excited about it. I feel cautiously optimistic, to be sure. you know, when uh, when they first started releasing like all the teases about it, I thought it would be much more force centric than it sounds like it's going to be. So when they first released the announcement, you know, and here's the High Republic, here's the Jedi of old, I was a little disappointed. So I was like, I want to learn more about the real origin of the force and the very first ever force users. I felt like we've kind of seen this story before, but when they released the, I guess we'll just call it the trailer for it. That's when I perked up and I was like, Oh, we're going somewhere here. We really are going something somewhere different with all of this. So As of now, the more information we get, the more excited I'm getting for it, which is pretty, I feel like, on par for where I am with most Star Wars projects whenever they're announced. So we'll see. We'll see what happens in the
1: coming months. It has a lot of potential being, you know, 200 years before The Phantom Menace. We can bring in characters uh, like Yoda. Uh, You could bring in characters... I mean, even adi Mundu, I, I don't know if we know how old he is in Phantom Menace. Just there's there's people that you can bring in to just be like, like, I don't want Yoda as a central figure in the story, but he could pop by and maybe he's a hologram or something telling them their next mission or whatever it may be. Uh, but also you're far enough away to where I mean, if you think about where our world was 200 years ago, you're looking at the 1800s. Right. And how different is that from today? So theoretically, you can have a very different galaxy, even though it's not, you know, the 2,000 years uh, before that Knights of the Old Republic was. And I think they're going to go there eventually. I'm still, I mean, Michelle, I know you're with me on this. I'm tooting the horn of Ryan Johnson (laughs) making the Origins of the Jedi series or whatever it may be. Um, But I think there's a lot of potential to see the Jedi simultaneously when they're acting like the Jedi should. Uh, and also start to show those little tendrils of the dark side starting to sneak back in because obviously the Sith are out there um, and, and maybe they have something to do with these Viking warriors. I'm, I'm really excited about the, the Viking warrior uh, group that they have that's going to kind of be the, the enemy uh, that they're facing off with here. So, And when you have people like Kevin Scott and Claudia Gray and... Uh, I mean, even Daniel Jose Older, who uh, I wasn't the world's biggest last shot fan, but dude is an excellent writer. Uh, it's just, it's it's exciting. I'm excited. Michelle, what about you?
2: Um, I'm kind of with Lindsay when they first announcement and announced it. I was it was kind of sad trombone for me just because, yeah, I I really, really want 2000 years ago like that's that's what i'm really really dying to know about but um the more i have i have a lot of questions like is 200 years prior enough time are we gonna see the cracks starting have they already started in the jedi order like what's that gonna be about and i'm actually really interested if if the i can't remember the name of the bad guys i know they they have a name i can't it's escaped me but the nil or something yeah 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 yes that was it um if they're not force users at all which i don't think i mean i guess they haven't said one way or the other have they i don't know Uh, i I don't don't think they have um yeah if they're not if they're not force users how are they in any way a challenge for a powerful jedi order you know what i mean i don't know i'm curious i'm definitely curious well we'll see
1: I think it comes down to like, again, them being at the pinnacle of what a Jedi is, where violence is not going to be their first choice, like it is once we get to the prequel era. Um, So finding that third way of finding other ways to solve the problems. And I think, I mean, the Industrial Revolution started in 1760, right, which is about 300 or so, you know, 250 years from where we are right now. And I mean, if you think about it, that's the, you know, what we had with factories starting to own children's lives to what social media, you know, is doing to children's lives now. I mean, there's a there's a a connection there, you know, that fascination with technology. And I think we'll see stuff like that, where it's like, oh, this is what's going to cause the crack. Um, I don't Mm -hmm. know if we'll actually see things start to break apart yet or not.
2: That's not, Yeah, that's a interesting take. I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah, I'm in, I'm interested plus there was a Lothwolf in one of the concept art. Yeah. A Loth- that Loth-wolf? I zoned in on immediately. I was like, "Uh,
0: oh, Lothwolf. What's that mean? What's Wookie going Jedi? on?"
1: Wookiee Jedi? Wookiee Jedi guys? <laughs> Wookiee
0: Jedi. Well, say is That's going to be something. Is Lothal in the
1: unknown? no, uh in the outer rim? Cuz that's Ugh. where they're going, isn't it?
2: I'm just as bad with star wars geography as i am with real geography so don't ask me
1: <laughs> that's fair i'm like every, every star wars story happens in the outer rim so what's the big deal about the outer rim oh uh, i know they i think they said something about going into the western reaches I gotta look up where lothal is because that'll be interesting if like maybe discovering I mean, lothal so is so
0: many oh yeah Well, with so many different stories being told between novels, young readers, comic books, it could take place in quite a few different areas.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: And like you said, that list of writers, like I'll read anything
2: Charles Sewell writes, I'll read anything Mm -hmm. Kevin Scott writes and Claudia Gray. So
1: I think I guess I'm in. I think the place where they (laughs) shot themselves in the foot is with the build-up. I think they did too much, like, ooh, what is it, without thinking about the fact that Star Wars fans, which, let's get this straight. Like, the general audience that goes to a Star Wars movie is not going to be into these books, right? Yes. Kids are going to be into these books, and Star Wars fans like those of you listening to the show, those of us on the show, those are going to be the ones that are, are... reading these books. So you have to kind of read the room and know that Star Wars fans are going to over-speculate about everything, and they're going to build things up in their head far more than, sh- honestly, we should do, um, myself included in that. Um So I think putting words like luminous there um, and that little <laughs> tease that they came out with about, you know, uh until now with Project Luminous. Just all of it was a little once they announced it, it was a little befuddling to me. I was like, Yeah. That doesn't I all I mean seem even to go just, together. you know
0: the fact that it was, we're not going to tell you what it is, but we'll tell you when we'll tell you what it is. Yeah. And like having <laughs> announcements for announcements was was a little odd, but it seemed like they were trying to build it up where they were getting that general audience into all of this. And I don't think that necessarily worked, but we'll see what, uh, what actually happens.
1: It could be, I mean... I really feel like this is a testing ground for them doing these little, I guess, mini-Marvel universes, if you will, where everything's connected. And if it works being able to do it here with these books, then maybe it'll work going like we, you know, people are wanting 2,000 years before the origins of the Jedi. And you've got some Mm. books and Mm -hmm. you've got movies and you've got, you know, they've done it a little bit with, you know, Rogue One and Solo, you know, having books attached to them. Uh, but we haven't seen anything huge, right? Like, we haven't seen anything attached with the Mandalorian and also a Mandalorian movie and a Mandalorian comic series, you know, or um, those kind of things. So I I feel like maybe this is a testing ground for does this format work in any way for Star Wars that could be that next big thing, especially with the TV shows. Like, I really feel like TV shows are where they're going to be putting their energy for the next Mm-hmm. Ten to fifteen years, honestly.
2: Totally
1: uh, wow. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I know we're gonna get mo- we're supposed to get those movies. I mean, I'm holding out for them. I really hope we do. But after that trilogy of movies that we're supposed to get, I don't know when we'll get an, another set of movies. I honestly think they're gonna take a break and they're really gonna pour into uh, into Disney Plus. I mean, that's what they're doing with the Marvel shows. You know, things like. Uh what is it Winter Soldier and the Falcon or Falcon and Winter Soldier like yeah. those are M1 concepts Division. Yeah those are concepts that like could be movies in their own right but they're taking the time to put them on Disney Plus to promote that site So it'll be interesting to see the kind of the cause and effect that happens here
2: so you're saying I'll be 95 by the time Ryan Johnson's trilogy comes out? Is that
1: no, sure? no, no. You're saying <laughs> you'll be 95. I never say a woman's age. I'm a gentleman.
0: <laughs> oh, nice. Man, I guess I better
2: start exercising if I want to see that trilogy.
0: <laughs> Michelle gives up all vices. <laughs>
1: <laughs> She's going to go live and be a monk and not talk for the next 40 years. to
2: write a letter and be like, dude, I'm, I'm sacrificing a lot for you. Get this. <laughs> <thing that's happening> <laughs> faster. Please
1: <laughs> go. At least make a fan film. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a lot to talk about, uh, with the rise of Skywalker novelization. So let's go ahead and jump right into that. Uh, because this is, this is going to be a really interesting conversation. Um, because we all have very different points of views on rise of Skywalker as a film, uh, Lindsay, is it still ranking up there as your favorite? One of your favorites
0: is not one of, it is my favorite. And I kind of knew that was going to be the case right from the starting gate. You know, I saw it the first time and I was like, okay, this is, this is, this is something, this is fun and then I saw it a few more times that weekend and Lord knows I've seen it so many times since then, but it really is to me what a star Wars movie should be. And I completely, completely understand and respect why not everyone else feels that way, but nothing has changed my opinion. If anything, it's really only strengthened my opinion so far. Um, So I know Michelle is one of those people who I respect so, so, so much. And I love arguing with Michelle about it. (laughs) But at the same time, you know, I think she is equally respectful of the fact that this is my favorite um, and can kind of see where I'm coming from. It's just that we always end up on different points of view. So, Michelle, tell us a little bit more about your feelings for The Rise of Skywalker. The film? Yeah, let's Look stick with film. the film yeah.
2: first. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, we're talking Look about film. Okay. Um oh. <laughs> um I just really, really don't like it at all. Hardly. I I just keep saying it exists in my mind now as a gift set of Ray and Ben kissing, and that's kind of where it exists for me.
0: <laughs> I
2: love you. <laughs> I'm just like, "Oh, I'm going to I'm going to watch Rise of Skywalker." I open my phone, I look at the gift set. Oh, "Okay, that's a good movie." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just have a lot of I have a lot of um, deep-seated issues with where it's coming from and to me the lack of where it went. But I don't know if you want specifics or not.
0: Well, if I mean real quick, just one word, yes or no. Did the novel, and we'll certainly obviously get into it, but did the novel change your opinion on this at all? On the film? Yeah. Not at all. Okay. Did you find the novel more satisfying than the film? Yes. Okay. But the
2: things that and I was- really, really, really hate about the movie, I she she couldn't do anything about those things, so... I still hate those things, even in the book. It's just, I feel like she um, she went deeper in places that the film actually needed to go and did not. And so, yes, it was more satisfying in that regard, but the stuff that I hate about the film, I still hate. It's There was nothing that could be done about that.
1: And see, that's the interesting thing there is the things that i had problems with in the film or at least some of the things that i had problems with in the film i feel better about now that i have the novel because i can watch the film with that extra context which of course like what what i've kind of realized for me about rise of skywalker is overall the story i'm cool with uh except for i'm still not a huge fan of ray palpatine and that whole dynamic there i don't think it would, i don't think it fits with the overall story but Other than that, for the most part, I'm fine with it. I've realized I just don't think it's edited very well, um, in my opinion. And I think this book kind of helps to uh, smooth those edges out a little bit. um, And places where I really felt like we need a little more explanation or a little better understanding of what's going on here, we get in the novel. So three very different perspectives on it. Uh, I want to start with the beginning of the book because... I texted uh, the team the other day, and I said, "Rise of Skywalker's beginning. Uh, other than the crawl, <laughs> I really don't like the crawl. Um, but the the actual beginning of the film is quickly becoming my favorite Star Wars opening. Um, it's right there with Revenge of the Sith. That's just something that's just it. It gets me excited to watch the movie, and." This book does not start the same way. Uh, It starts instead with the things with Rey. I want to know what you guys think about this because I, I liked the extra content we got with Leia and Rey training, but I don't think as a story it starts as well when you switch and have Rey first and save Ben finding Palpatine for what, 30, 40 pages into the book. So, Lindsay, what did you think about them switching up um, that particular order of the story?
0: I think it made sense for the tone that each, we'll say, individual author wanted to set. Author of the film being J.J. I think he wanted something a little bit more fast-paced that had a little bit more action, and it felt very tense the whole time i think he accomplished that i do think that ray carson on the other hand wanted to be more introspective and this was the right medium to do that so while jj wanted to know within the first 30 seconds this is this is quick this is going to be heavy you're going to have to stay focused there's no room for distraction Whereas Ray Carson was very much here's Ray's mental state right now. Here's the things that she's struggling with. And she is going to use Leia as her cornerstone from this point on. So I personally liked if I had to pick one, the novel intro better just because Ray's my favorite character. And I really like her relationship with Leia. Obviously they couldn't flush that out in the film. Um, but just my personal preference and being that I like Ray, I like seeing her in her monologues. I prefer the novel opening. Not to say I didn't like the film opening. It's just I I wasn't as big of a fan as you were, where even though this is my favorite movie, I'm not sure if this is my favorite opening.
1: Okay. Michelle, where do you come down on this?
2: Um, I actually agree with, basically everything Lindsay just said. I think it's a yeah,
0: we're off to a good <laughs> a good rare start for us.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think exactly what she said about the movie. Um I do have that gift set also saved of Kylo mowing down all the um <laughs> Sith people. Cause it 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 that was what maybe the only eh, maybe some of the stuff in the Pasana Desert I thought the cinematography was gorgeous. But that opening, I thought the cinematography was beautiful. So that kind of got me, and I did think it was going to start off with Kylo anyway, so I was not surprised when that happened. But like Lindsay said, um, I think Ray Carson is, uh, like she said, just was very much interested in making Leia a focal point of this book, even more so, well, quite a bit more so than the movie was even able to because obviously they only had what eight minutes of footage of Carrie Fisher or whatever so I like them both for what they are like I I think had the movie started out with Ray would have felt a little weird and had the book started out with Kylo would have I guess I wouldn't have noticed because it was like oh it's just like the movie but I do like that she starts with Ray for the same reasons uh, that Lindsay said because I I desperately wanted to know more about what was going through Ray's mind in the movie and just didn't get it. So that was actually made me very happy when it started out with her.
1: And I mean, the, the Ray Leia stuff in the book is, I mean, getting to see more of Jedi Leia, I think is really cool. Um, getting to kind of understand the mindset that she has when she's training Ray. Um, and how she's trying to not make the mistakes that she made with Ben. Uh, that was really, to me, that was really compelling. Um, and I, I really feel like, well, and, and I appreciate that Ray Carson did want to take the time to flush out that relationship a little more because it's something that she knew the story needed, but also that we as fans would want. And the the moments that... I found a little hard with Leia in the film. Um, like I, I'm not I like the idea of what happens with her death scene, um, but I don't like how it's executed because it's very shadowy and, and and again, no knock on them. Like they had a limited set of material to work with, but it just feels very much to me in the movie like Okay, they had to do it this way because Carrie wasn't around. Instead of this makes sense for the story, um, and so with the novel, I was able to re envision that with Princess Leia with Carrie actually there, uh, with you actually being able to see her and see her face as she's reaching out to Ben, and um, so stuff like that I felt was just really really well done. Um, if if anything, uh, I think what Ray Carson did best here. Is Ray and Leia? I feel like she really gets those characters, um, that the struggles that they're they are dealing with, and particularly with Ray. I felt like in the movie there was very much a uh, focus on the struggle with her being angry, whereas in the book it was more of her struggling with her identity and where she was supposed to be, her destiny, her fate. Um, that conversation coming up back again. Uh, what did you guys think about kind of the the internal conflict that Ray was having to deal with in the book? And you don't necessarily have to compare it to the movie, but just do you think that Ray Carson did a good job of understanding that character?
0: 100, 100%. 100%. Um, Daisy Ridley is a phenomenal actress. I don't think that's up for debate i don't think anyone would want to take the opposing view to me it's just a fact she's an incredible actress one of the struggles with playing such a strong character as ray though is how do you convey how conflicted she is while still showing that strength and daisy really is so good at showing what a strong character ray is where she's going to at least always try to do the right thing. And it's hard when she doesn't have a confidant to really understand that struggle. So there's only so much you can really do with just a facial expression to say, I'm worried about this. I'm angry about this. I don't know if I should do this. It's so much easier in a novel to get that point across and to me Ray Carson did a phenomenal job of explaining what Ray was afraid of. You know, B you had mentioned she was angry, to me it it felt so much more fearful. And with Ray Carson, I think she was so eloquent with here's what Ray is afraid of, here's why she's afraid of it, and here's how she's going to try to deal with it. Um I know Ray Carson hasn't done as much as someone you know like claudia gray has for star wars but the few things she has done i think this is really where she excels is getting into the one specific character's mind and really digging in um i don't know if she was quite as successful with you know poe or finn even but she did a phenomenal phenomenal job with ray and leia in my opinion
1: Michelle, what were your thoughts on how she handled Ray in this novelization?
2: Um, I definitely think she did a much better job, at least as conveying to me what the heck she was thinking because I I got the same impression from the film that it was it was just she's just really angry a lot. And I didn't I'm like, what? why are you so angry? Why are you so angry, bro? <laughs> like what's going on there and more and more so in the book i just really much more understood that it was more fear not so much anger but just like worried that she was not going to um, be the person that she wanted to be that everybody needed her to be so that came across a lot better so yeah Uh, pretty much across the board with the well like you said, Poe and Finn, not so much, maybe. I didn't really get that much from them on, in either medium, but um, kind of everyone everyone else, though. It was much more description, and I understand their motives a lot better from the book, for sure.
1: And, I mean, like I said before, reading the book has given me a greater appreciation for the movie c- because now I feel like I understand, in particular, Ray's internal monologue and and, uh ben's internal monologue and we'll get we'll get to him later uh but i think one thing that that ray carson does really well and we saw this in most wanted is take these characters who we don't really get to know that much about and like you said Lindsay, dig into them and give us a, a deeper understanding especially those who are kind of conflicted between their light and dark sides you know kira is kind of struggling with that she sees the good in han but also has the street re- mentality uh that she needs to to have to survive in which one of those is going to win out and we of course you know know how that ends and you kind of see that in most wanted which is a great book if you hadn't che- haven't checked it out but uh you kind of get the same idea here of you know, Ray has that struggle that between the light and dark, which we know is kind of a main theme happening through the sequel trilogy, uh, and and you understand why better. You understand her insecurities a whole lot better because the movies do a really good job of showing her strength, and and this is one of the questions that I that's been coming up a lot for me um, with with Ben in particular. But we'll get back to that is do the movies do a good enough job of showing us the internal struggle that these characters are having. I feel like they could give us a really good grasp of the external struggles, but I feel like we need some of this ancillary stuff to really help us understand what's going on inside of them. Does that make sense? Yeah. I I
2: had the only The only film I didn't have that issue was The Last Jedi, which I understood completely (laughs) what they were thinking all the time because Ryan Johnson is really good. Um, So, yeah, yeah. I wish, not that we're talking about that book, but I wish they could go back and revisit the Force Awakens novelization and, you know what I mean, like have this expanded version type of thing um, with that book because... Which, by I the way, that conversation that much.
1: expanded edition being 274 pages long is not expanded edition. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not expanded. That's just the regular edition with added scenes. Let's calm down. It's the
0: edition. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot
2: of extra stuff in here, though. There That's is. That's what I think. There is. is that. Uh, a lot of
1: extra stuff,
2: which I hope we get to talk about.
1: Oh, we we oh, definitely We will. will. Oh, don't you worry. I just remember opening <laughs> um, the book and I was like, what, 274 pages? Anyways, Lindsay, go for it. What were you going to say? I was thinking,
0: too, one thing I think Ray Carson is phenomenal at, and I keep using that word, but I just I freaking love this story so much. Um, but she's really good at not just getting these few characters and and really diving into here's what they're thinking, here's why they're thinking it. Even the characters that she doesn't write quite as strongly, not because she can't, but because she doesn't need to, she's so good at explaining why they're so revered. You know, Maz Kanata, I would say, is probably the easiest example because it's not so much that she writes Maz and all of a sudden I just understand everything this character's been through and I understand why Maz makes the decisions she does, But I understand why everyone around her listens to her and goes to her for advice. Ray Carson doesn't do, you know, the absolute be all end all Lando author. But I understand why Poe needs Lando around. And I think that's in a story like this where it is so much about passing on from one generation to the next is a really, really tricky thing to do. And Carson found a way to do it, in my opinion. So other than Maz, were there any other characters that you think you kind of have a better understanding of either that character or why that character is important?
1: Hmm. I oh. think for me it was Chewy. I think for me it was Palpatine.
0: Oh, Michelle, you gave me the little heads up, too, that there was going to be a very emotional, chewy scene, which I I definitely, I forgot to tell you how much I appreciated that heads up, because I can't imagine having been caught off guard the way you were.
1: Well, we didn't tell me that, so I was caught off guard.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I know you are super sensitive to spoilers. I did not want to... Give you, I was I was just scared to tell you anything. So
1: no, I'm but, I appreciate it. I I really enjoyed that scene. But go ahead.
2: So sorry if you had um an emotional breakdown over it, like I did.
1: Oh, I definitely did.
2: My lord. Well, let me just say the whole the whole deal with me getting this book was that I went to the C2E2 convention in Chicago, and that's where they did the early drop of the book, and I was in there with some friends from their Twitter Star Wars friends. And um, we had all already decided we were going to the Ray Carson panel and everything together. But then before the panel, we saw on Twitter like, oh, my God, they literally have the book right over there. So we went and got it. And after the panel, we decided to just plop ourselves down in the middle of the floor, basically um, surrounded by all these people who th- probably thought we were crazy Because we were crying and laughing and acting nuts. But um, we got to the part towards the end with Lando walking through the ship. Walking through the Falcon. And finding the holodisc in Chewbacca's quarters. Was the part that my friend started to read. And I have wanted Chewie Ben content for four freaking years. Just anything. Just give me anything any inkling that they had a relationship that I know that they had they must have had and so she started reading that portion of the book and I just literally jumped up and ran away like I'm not going to sit here on the floor and bawl my eyes out in front of all these people (laughs) because I know that's what's going to happen so I just ran away and I left for about 10 minutes and I came back and then I was like wait a minute was that what I think it was or was that about Chewie's own child? And she's like, nope, it's what you thought it was. I was like, oh, my God. So I didn't even know the whole interrogation between Ben and Chewie even happened. Like, that, yeah. was, a, that was a surprise because I didn't know that was in there. We just kind of flipped to the back of the book when we were looking through it. And I we, didn't know that. I – oh, my God. Like, I <laughs> I couldn't – I couldn't handle it. Like, it was... It was... Yeah. There was much sobbing. It upset me anyway because that concept art upset me. Like, I did not like the way that concept art looked. It
0: looked really upsetting. So... But that's... That, I think, is one of those things where it would have been hard to do in the film without it kind of interrupting the story a little bit. You know, if we had paused at any point as amazing and emotional as it would have been to see Chewie with a very young Ben Solo, it would have been so disruptive. You know, they're either getting ready for some great big battle scene or we're in the middle of Ray trying to figure out what the dagger says. So it, it was hard, I think in the movie to have put that in, but I'm really, really happy that they were able to include it in the book. It's just, you know, to me it just makes more sense to have it there. Whereas that's, that's it would really a little oh, sorry. more disruptive.
2: Sorry. I thought you were done.
0: Um, no, that's, it was. What,
2: <laughs> that's one of the things I, that really upset me about the movie though, that they did take too much time running around and battle scenes and knife stuff. And like, where's the emotional gravitas that I'm looking for? I didn't, I don't, I don't, I don't know that it would have so much disrupted the flow of the movie as they needed to disrupt the flow of the movie. In my, you know, from my mm-hmm. side, like I didn't feel like we got any other than um, other than Han and Ben's interaction. I really kind of needed something. Not, I'm not saying necessarily Chewy, the Chewy stuff, but you know what I, I mean. Well, yeah, because know.
0: yeah, I do.
1: The thing that got me was you have the scene in Force Awakens where Chewie immediately shoots Kylo after he Mm -hmm. stabs Han, right? Which, again, like, thinking about the fact that they had a relationship and that they were close and that he was Uncle Chewie now, you know, is a big moment for him to so instantly do that. My issue with with this is it it wasn't resolved that it really bugs me that that relationship wasn't resolved. You have the last time that Chewie saw Ben saw Kylo was when he was interrogating him. Right. And so Mm -hmm. you just have this loose end and sure, you know, Ray can tell, can tell Chewie, you know, Ben came back. He saved me. He gave his life force for me, which is great. But it's like, it's not going to have the same effect on Chewie, right? And we know Chewie's gonna have to live hundreds of more years with this idea that Ben returned to the light, but also this memory of that interrogation at the same time.
2: Yeah, I think you're right about that. You're right so, completely. I would have liked to see more resolution there too.
1: Yeah, just something. It didn't even have to be like a big moment where they sat down and you know talked out their issues. Like just something <laughs> where you know maybe Chewy you know sees Ben, looks into his eyes or something, and you can tell that he he knows or whatever. Um, so that was that whole dynamic was really interesting. Let's get into the Ben stuff because. Something that really blew my mind in this book, uh, and and I've been waiting to talk to you two about it, is the idea that's presented that Kylo wants to rule with Rey. That there's never a time when he's thinking about killing her. Which I think we we kind of knew, the three of us, being that we're so like deep in um with these characters. But I think as a general Star Wars going audience, we kind of expect the, the whole join me on the dark side thing to be a facade and to be a trick to, you know, to get them either to turn to the dark side so that they can control them like Palpatine does with Anakin or uh, to kill them or whatever it may be. It's, it's never, no, I actually genuinely want to do this with you, which we get in this story with Ben Um, And and this is one of those things that rewatching the movie with this extra context of knowing what he's thinking, I think really changes the story quite significantly because that is Ben coming through, you know, that's not a dark side mentality to think, no, I want to rule with this person, you know, Um, we get it with Anakin and Padme, but obviously it doesn't. Work and, and, and so we have that thing that's broken there, you know, that, that kind of is being brought up again here. I just found the whole thing really interesting. Where do you guys come down on, on that whole idea of him actually, like, wanting her to rule with him?
2: I don't think it's any surprise to say I was extremely into that in the book.
1: <laughs> There's an understatement.
2: Like, I mean... It's funny, though, because, yeah, I I did get that from the movie, probably was in the minority that I got that through from the movie. I think most people just even still, I still have people telling me, oh, he was going to kill her on the Death Star. I'm like, oh, my goodness, seriously, <laughs> especially after reading the book, you know, It OK, they, I'm sorry. They, but they, if he was going
1: to kill her on the Death Star, he would have pulled his lightsaber <laughs> at the beginning. He wouldn't have dodged yeah. around.
2: If he was going to yeah. kill her, period, he would have shot at her in the desert with his freaking TIE fighter. Like, yeah. hello? No. It was never... I was very glad that she made it very clear in more than one place in the book that, yeah, his that is not his intention. His intention is still the same as it was at the end of, of The Last Jedi. He wants... And, and like you said, it's really... Very cool that it is not a Sith rule of two type of a thing. It's a Dyad thing. And he sees her as his equal. And not someone to, to you know, quote unquote, be be her master or whatever. So that, I agree with you, Bran. It was very, very cool um, that she put that in there. Um, interesting, though, that the one place where he had a tiny shadow of a doubt... excuse me that he thought he might want to kill her is when he was thinking well maybe palpatine's right maybe i do have to kill her because otherwise she's the light within myself and if i don't kill her it's never gonna go away but then he was like nah i I definitely don't want to kill her (laughs) (laughs) no definitely definitely want to get with that i do not want to kill her um, but anyway, that was interesting that that was the one time. And then she turned it on its head, though, and made it super romantic. Like, she's my light. Yeah. That, you know. Anyway, yeah.
1: And it always That's gets the- me thinking about Anakin and Padme. Anytime they do something with it, with that kind of Raylo dynamic, dyad dyam- dynamic, I always try to look at the lens of Anakin and Padme, um, and, you know, Anakin was trying to cling to that light uh, with Padme, and now Ben's trying to cling to that light with Ray. It's an interesting dynamic. Lindsay, what what are your thoughts there?
0: I cannot get over how much Michelle and I are agreeing on things tonight. <laughs> because <laughs> I, <laughs> I also completely got that from the movie. You know, there really were so many times where. I don't think he was ever trying to kill her. And again, this is going back to even that first weekend of me watching the movie. I wasn't like, Oh my God, he's trying to kill her. Look how incompetent he is. It really was (laughs) like, he says, I needed you to see it. I'm trying to pull out this darkness because I needed you to see it. And Michelle, when you were talking before you even mentioned this point, I kid you not. I opened up to page 96 in the book. To read that exact passage <laughs> about let's, him. Let's to 96. Let's, uh, yeah. Well, I'll, you know what? Let me read aloud for the for the class.
1: Story yeah. time.
0: <laughs> he finally understood Han Solo was his past, but Ray was his light. That's why Kylo was still in agony. That's why he couldn't shake the memory of his father's hand against his cheek of those eyes full of love and understanding. Kylo hadn't yet destroyed his light. Maybe the emperor was right. She needed to die, that or he needed to kill the light in her, and that's it. That's that's Kylo Ren. You know, I don't is is that Ben or not? That's a totally different conversation. But Kylo Ren isn't thinking, I need to kill this person because she's going to stop me from having this power. He's thinking, I need to kill what's good in her because she's going to stop me from wanting the power. You know, there's
1: Mm. what
0: you want and then there's what you want to want. You could, in theory, know that, you know, it would make sense to want to be a millionaire and want to, you know, have mansions on every continent. But maybe in your heart, what you really want is to step aside and do nonprofit work. You know, there's, there's that fine, fine line between what you want and what you want to want. And that's what Ben and Kylo Ren seem to struggle with so much in the first act of this story, whether it's movie book, whatever. This story is him trying to decide it, and in this moment, he seems to decide that his best course of action is to not kill Ray, but to kill the light inside of her, and therefore killing the only remaining light inside of himself. I got that in the movie. I agree with Michelle. I don't think everyone else did. Um, whether it's because they don't know the story as well as we do they don't care as much as we do I do think it was a missing point that came across unequivocally clear in Ray Carson's story though
1: one of the things that stood out to me like as I was reading this book is how many like parallels there are from things that happen in with with different people in the story or beginning of the story and end of the story one of the parallels uh, that I just love is the whole BB-8 dio one where you know ray says she gave some of her life force to the snake and tells bb-8 you would do the same thing and then later he does those kind of things are i love those little things but one that i feel like like actually was really impactful for the characters of the story is that both ben and ray are battling with this dynamic of what people expect you to be versus what you need to be, right? And Lindsay, this is very similar to what you were talking about. Um, but, like, society expects a dark sider to be like this, you know? Um, it, society expects a scavenger to be like this, but this is what I know I'm supposed to do. Uh, and, and that's a really interesting dynamic, especially when you consider the fact that, like, the two are one, you know, you have the dyad and it's so both of them figure out that who they are or who they need to be is who they are. You know, that, that's one of the things that I, I like about this story is I don't f- at their core. I don't feel like Ray has changed that much by the end of the movie right? By the end of the trilogy. At her core, she's still the same good person who wants to help people, who's going to do the right thing, who's going to step up, you know, and fight for what's right, you know? And, you know, Kylo going back to being Ben and and who he was born to be as a Skywalker, uh, Solo, Organa, um, whatever you want to call him. So that idea of kind of, here's what, what people expect me to be, right? Palpatine expected Rey to be a certain way. Palpatine expected Kylo to be a certain way. But the fact that they weren't um, is, again, the ultimate downfall of the Sith. It's the same... To me, it's the same kind of thing that happened in Return of the Jedi, right? The thing that that Palpatine can never see is that third way is Luke winning by loving Vader, Right? And here you have Ray and Ben winning by not only loving each other, but learning to love themselves.
0: I, real quick, in case we get back to this, want to mention something that you, I don't want to say, Fumbled over, or stumbled upon. But when you when you scrolled through all of Leia's names, you know she's a Skywalker, oh, yeah. Organa, Solo. I love the part where they are talking about Leia finally accepting that her legacy would live on, and they even say, "Ray takes on the Skywalker legacy, Poe takes on the Organa legacy, and Ben takes on the Solo legacy." And I thought that perfectly it was in the middle of the freaking book but it perfectly summed everything up in my opinion point
1: blank favorite part of the book like
0: i'm so glad that you guys liked that because
1: <clears throat> because i, I hated me. it
2: no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's so funny no i'm i'm so glad you guys liked it because so did i And I am finding that a lot of my Raylo friends hate that, hate it. And I don't, I get why they hate it. I kind of get why they hate it, but I am also like, "Mm," I think they're mis. I don't want to say misinterpreting because they're very intelligent people. They're not misinterpreting it. I just feel like it's hitting them in a totally different way that it's hitting me and probably both of you. It's just that, They're not, you know, she's not literally saying, you know, Poe's going to take my Organa name and take my political career. You know, she's not being literal about it. The woman's on her deathbed, and she's thinking about all this experience that she's had in her life. She's had a political career, and she's had a a Force Jedi, quote-unquote, career, and she's... Ben a wife and a mother so it's just like I get it I get that she doesn't mean like well Ben can only be Ben can only have this part of me because he's just not worthy of the other two parts and and, you know Uh, whatever and I feel like that's the way they're taking it and I'm just taking it like listen if I'm on my deathbed and I'm telling my kids I want you to have this Necklace, And I want you to have this book that was mine. It's not that I'm saying, you know, it's just the way it's just the way I feel like maybe a parent would think if if they have these people that they. Yes, she. Yes, Ben is her only actual child, but she definitely feels very parental over the over Poe and Ray as well. So to me, it was one of my favorite passages in the book. And I'm so glad that (laughs) I'm so glad that you guys liked it because I
1: well, I don't understand the hate for it to kind of put it like into another context, like for me as a teacher, you know, there's always seems to be this one thing that each of my classes, I feel like takes away at the end of the year, right? Like this one big thing. Uh, A couple years ago, it was poetry, and then it was color theory. And this year's group, I feel like, is really going to do a good job of looking at situations objectively, right? Like, there's these themes that come up throughout the year that we really focus on. And does that mean that they don't take all the other things that I taught them with them? Well, yes, it does, because they never take everything I taught them, but... (laughs) <laughs> but it doesn't mean that I didn't teach them those other things. It doesn't mean that the one class can only do poetry and the other, none of the other classes can do poetry. Well, right. It means like this one group was, they really excelled at poetry. I was really able to push them to new levels with it. Whereas this other group, I was able to push them to new levels in a different place. Right. And that's what right. I feel like is going on here with, with, uh, Leia. It, She's not saying like, Ben could never be a politician or, or he, you know, like you said, Michelle, he doesn't deserve all of my legacy, but she's saying these are kind of the classes of me, the compartments of me, and this is how I have taken them and spread them out, and I mean, the idea that's in this book about being able to, or in this story, it's in the movie as well, of being able to choose your own identity and choose who you want to be, I mean, that's Leia, you know, kind of allowing those characters to do that. You know, she doesn't force Poe into being a military leader. That's who he is. He's, he's a rah-rah, let's-go team kind of guy, right? Ray is right. never going to be that kind of person. She's going to be the one that's going to, you know pull her pull you off to the side and be like hey i kind of know this information but i don't i'm kind of too nervous to say it in front of everybody else in case it's wrong you know um but she's also going to be the one that's going to stand at the front line um and fight with you so it that was one of the things that wasn't in the movie that that i really liked but let's go to kind of some of the other things that weren't in the movie uh that i think are important for the story starting with the the one that blew up the internet clone Palpatine (laughs) now the the fact that he is a clone I was kind of like all right whatever like they have to explain it some way and again I'm very anti-spoiler so while I saw the headlines I avoided clicking on any of the articles so I didn't know how they executed it when we actually got to the execution of it in the story I thought it was really well done Uh, well, I thought it was as well done as it could be. You have to kind of, you know, figure out a retcon of how did Palpatine not actually die. And I hate that word retcon, but here it actually applies. Um, so him transferring himself to another body, I thought was, was a good idea. Um, that body not being able to handle the power, uh, that he has, um, in a tight situation like you were in there where you have to figure out how to bring somebody back from the dead. Spider Legs Mall is still above it, but hey, you know, (laughs) uh, not too bad. What did you guys think about how Ray Carson kind of (laughs) balanced that little uh, problem she had there?
0: Yeah, I think your analysis of it is pretty on point um, for me, and I'll explain why, but I always said I just didn't want Palpatine to be a clone that was I don't want to say my a deal breaker for me. it obviously wasn't. Uh, but it was not on any of my wish lists. Um, <laughs> so when it was when it was confirmed and even when it was alluded to in the movie, I wasn't that big of a fan, but her doing it in a more mystical sense than a sci-fi sense, I thought was a good decision. The reason why I'm okay with it, I know won't apply to everyone else. And it is simply that I have absorbed every piece of star Wars material out there. So I can read this and understand it to say, oh, this is what the observatories were for. This was his real contingency plan. This was Operation Cinder. And everything else kind of falls into place. If I didn't read Aftermath, if I didn't know um, Inferno Squad, anything like that, I don't know if I would have liked this as much. Thankfully, I'm not in that situation. I know the material, I understand the stories, and I was able to be on board with this as much as I possibly could. I'm fearful for the people who don't absorb every single thing out there or they don't understand all of this. I don't know if it really would have worked for them, but this was the decision made, and I think it was done as best as
1: possible. Did anybody else just like envision the end of return of the Jedi with like ghost Palpatine coming out of his body and laughing yeah. as Luke and Vader are sitting <laughs> there course. having that emotional moment. Okay. I,
0: I, did, I did like a mix of Dr. Strange meets Palpatine. Yes. <laughs> yes.
1: Oh man. It was a totally like astral projection.
2: This is one of the things that I have such mixed feelings about. I'm, pulled in two different directions constantly about this because I I don't mind that it was a clone body. Oh, and by the way I actually liked the addition in the book that he was on a time table. Like he only had so much time left before mm. this body completely disintegrated yeah. and that at that helped make more sense of why they're in such a hurry in the film to get the like the 16 hour timetable or whatever that he has which
0: what, by the what? way
1: that movie doesn't happen in 16 hours there's no way you can <laughs> l- watch that movie and be like oh yes this all happened in 16 uh, yeah a- no anyways but yes it did make i watched
0: sense. it one time i was like when are they gonna sleep <laughs> when do they go to the bathroom where they have a
2: snack
1: <laughs> are you eating enough poe you look skinny <laughs> all right sorry michelle keep going
2: but anyway, yeah. I completely understand the mechanism of how this happened. It doesn't even really... That that part I found completely plausible because it's Star Wars and it's weird and clones are a thing and, you know, weird force powers are a thing and we've heard about this power to defeat death since um, Revenge of the Sith. So, And like you said... Operation Center, the contingency plan, the observatories, all of that makes perfect sense. And I i almost like it. I know it's shocking, but I almost like it. Like, I, yeah, it all adds up. But the problem, the problem I have, and I feel like I say this all the time, but I feel like that in and of itself completely undermines Return of the Jedi and what happens at the end and the whole chosen one thing is just completely irrelevant now because Upteen never died and his contingency plan happened immediately they were already working on it they already had like all these slave children on Exegol working on the ships and doing all this stuff so that's why I'm very, very, very torn because in and of itself I think it is actually a good Star Wars story and they cover all, you know, that, like I said, they touch on his speech in Revenge of the Sith. And he, they touch on the clone thing. And they touch on a lot of things that are very Star Warsy. But on the other hand, to me, it's, like, completely making me sad. Because I just don't like that. To me, it negates re, um, the Chosen One and and the end of Return of the Jedi. Which I know is a big deal for you, Brandon. Like, that was one thing that you just... That was going to be a deal breaker for you personally if any of this stuff um, made you feel bad about what happens at Return of the Jedi because that's such an important thing for you.
1: Yeah, but and anyway, I, I think for me, what kind of what I've come to is the end of Return of the Jedi settles the kind of internal struggles uh the the dynamic within Anakin and and what was wrong with the Jedi um and the end of rise of skywalker is the the wrapping up of the Jedi versus Sith conflict right because the Jedi return twofold in return of the Jedi at, in both Luke and Anakin uh, Luke bringing the Jedi back to what they were supposed to be, and Anakin finding his way from the dark side back to the light. Um, I think, in a way, I think that kind of opens up a pathway for for Ben to be able to do that later. Um, whereas, you know, the end of Return of the Jedi is, or excuse me, Rise of Skywalker, as cheesy as it is, it says it right there, I am all the Sith, well, I am all the Jedi, you know. Um, and, and the... The end of Return of the Jedi, you know, the throwing away the lightsaber, the giving of yourself is really reestablishing who the Jedi are supposed to be. I think that's the kind of with this new context, that's the lesson that I'm putting there. Rise of Skywalker with the two lightsabers and turning the lightning back on Palpatine, um is, you know, showing that the dark side, the Sith, will always destroy themselves, um, that they are their own worst enemy, um, and kind of putting the punctuation on that. So that's kind of the context I've put it on. But actually, now that we're we're talking about that, there was a scene at the end of this book that I absolutely hate. Ooh. Like, with a fiery burning passion. (laughs) Because I have said over and over again on here, on Clashing Sabers, that I wanted Rise of Skywalker to be such a clear ending that that it's a punctuation mark on the entire Star Wars story, and we never get anything after that. Now, we've gotten announcements that we're going to get stuff after that, and with the way the movie ended, I'm cool with it. But there was a conversation between Poe and Finn uh, where they were basically talking about whether they had finally won for real if it was finally over and Poe basically was like I don't know who knows may may happen again uh there may be another bad guy that comes up or whatever it just felt like very laissez-faire about this being the end of this big saga about this being the end the the real end of Palpatine by basically saying like "Eh, who knows maybe maybe not I guess we'll figure it out later. It just, it felt very hollow to me.
0: I would say though, maybe that's one of the central themes of not this movie, but the trilogy, the sequel trilogy as a whole, because we have right in the force awakens, right? When we meet Maj, she's there saying like, this comes in waves. This is always going to happen. I've been around so long and I've seen this in so many different forms. Um, Maybe the whole point is Poe is realizing that it doesn't matter if you're doing this to end everything once and for all. The real fight is even if it's always going to come back, you still put that fight in. And that's the measure of what makes you a good person. If it's not going to be permanent, even if you're trying to fix something in the short term, you still do it.
1: Right, but that to me that feels like something that you put in Force Awakens or even in Last Jedi. Right? The end of the Skywalker saga should not have something to me, should not have something in its story in any way that gets you thinking about that question because I think the question's already in your mind because Palpatine has come back. So then just to add on to it, it's it felt like to me and and i probably am totally wrong on this but it felt like something to me that jj or kathleen kennedy or somebody told ray carson like hey we need this in the book uh you know to kind of tease that there's going to be stories afterwards instead of something that organically makes sense for for the book for the story for the end of the skywalker saga michelle you're shaking your 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 head yes here (laughs) what do you think
2: it made me feel like that too, okay. but it also made me it also I mean that was my immediate thought at the end of the movie like this is not like you said this is not a punctuation mark at all. This is a an ellipsis. <laughs> this is going to continue because um it it just feels to me like they could just do this again very easily. Of course they could. Just helps set another clone somewhere on another place why not you know what i mean it's it i guess what i'm saying is i don't like it and but that was my initial thought at the end of the movie as well that that's that did not sit well with me and then seeing it in the book i was like well yeah because that's what it's saying to me yeah, it could definitely happen again
1: the end of the movie like i i was fine with it wasn't exactly the definitive punctuation on the end that i needed but i liked i liked it i've come to really like ray skywalker and that whole idea there just side note i swear to baby yoda that i have seen that picture of Luke and Leia on Pinterest or something at the end of the movie, the Force Ghost ones that are clearly a painting. I swear to Cara Dune that that was a fan art that existed before this movie. I have not had a chance to sit down and research it, but I'm going to find it and I'm going to prove it. That aside, You're probably right I'm definitely right. I'm I don't know. Definitely I'm, I'm
0: still gonna disagree with you though on the overall point that. This, to me, is a definitive end in the Skywalker saga, and when we're talking about powerful light, powerful dark, it's a definitive end on that specific powerful light and that specific powerful dark. That's not to say you aren't going to have a new one on either end, it's just, that's it on the final one that's it on the one that we're invested in. Obviously there's still going to be adventures for our main surviving three but I don't know. To me it it was a pretty good this is it this is the end. I feel like if they had not build this
2: build the film early on as the period end period like that was the thing Mm. so early on That's what got in my head, like, okay, this Mm is it, this is the for sure end of the Skywalker saga. And then it seems like, like you said, Brandon, it almost, uh, it seemed like a really shoehorned in little part of the book, like, I felt that way too. Like, again, I agreed with it, but it did feel as if they changed their their whole way of thinking about it and and maybe had her put that in there just to be on the safe side yeah but
1: I mean it, it it was like two sentences so I mean I can just breeze over it the next time uh, I, I'm glad it wasn't in the movie I will say that because even though Lindsay I do agree with you it is a definitive end to that powerful light and that powerful dark specifically um, I'm more talking I'm more thinking of like the feeling that you should have at the end of the movie and you shouldn't mm. be questioning at the end of this movie of like
0: what what comes next yeah
1: yeah so but something i did really love uh that we got nothing of in the movie and i think that this was a huge fumble on jj's part um is about ray healing the kyber crystal uh and and Mm -hmm. rebuilding the the legacy lightsaber Guys, do you know who the only other character we've seen heal a kyber crystal is?
2: Hmm, who would that be, Brandon? Whoever could it be?
1: (laughs) I have no idea. Please enlighten us. It would be one Tano. Ahsoka Tano. (gasps) No. Yes. Ahsoka's white lightsaber blades. Spoiler alert for the Ahsoka novel come because she heals a Sith uh, or an Inquisitor's uh, red uh, lightsaber crystal. Here we get... I almost said Leia. It's not Leia. It would have been cool if it was Leia. It would have been really cool if she learned how to heal the kyber crystal from Leia, but that's a whole different thing. But Rey learns from the old Jedi text how to uh, heal the kyber crystal, and that's what leads her to healing the... uh, the wounds in in the snake and the wounds in Ben, Um, that idea of giving of yourself to heal the wounds, really the wounds of the past, right? Uh, Because Ray, you know, heals the the legacy lightsaber that, you know, is, is a conduit of the past. She heals the snake who we don't see how it got injured, so it's something from the past. And when she stabs Kylo... She stabs him with his his lightsaber, right? Which is the memory of who Kylo Ren is, as simultaneously as Ky- Kylo is dying, right? So to me, that's very symbolic of like this is your past that we're killing, right? Like you said, you had to do, and now you can be reborn, right? So I think that if you would again, this this brings back my whole three strikes thing. Like if something happens in threes, if you you had that. Just a little moment uh, in the beginning of the movie where even, I mean, I, I think they didn't put it in because you couldn't have it with Leia and Ray, but you could have had this with like Ray and Rose or Ray and Finn. It would have made total sense to have something in here where she just mentions, you know, she's glad she learned how to heal this kyber Crystal or something. So, what did you guys? where do you guys come down on the whole like healing the Kyber crystal, putting the lightsaber back together? Because I know a lot of people, it it was a real problem for them because it was like, Oh, they're retconning the last Jedi, blah, blah, blah. blah. So Lindsay, what did you think about, about adding that into the story?
0: I liked it. And in terms of in the movie, I feel like it, it goes back to your very, very original statement, Brandon of, editing was a little choppy Mm -hmm. because it seemed to me like there were times where they tried to make it totally clear that there's that leather strap around the lightsaber hilt, and there's different times where you see certain things or maybe certain conversations felt like they were cut um i would say beaumont was probably the easiest one to do that like thank god i had beaumont to translate this so I knew how to do it. Yeah. Um, But it seems like there were times where JJ was trying to actually show us that she was the one who healed it. You know, the leather strap is, I think a fantastic way to show it. Ray is almost synonymous at this point with that kind of leather band. Makes sense. But the editing was just off. So to have it in the novel always better um there's so much that you can add without breaking up the story this is one of them and it's one of those facts that those of us who get the visual dictionary and we dig through it wasn't a surprise for us and i almost forget sometimes that not everyone else knows that information
1: yeah and and again it's it's my thing with this movie is it, with the ancillary material. I really like the story, but um, the editing is just off to me. Uh, Michelle, did you have thoughts on the the healing of the Kyber crystal and and how that plays into the story?
2: Yeah, I really, I really lo- liked that she put that into the book. Just like, just like you guys were saying, it's <laughs> kind of important information. I guess I, I guess when I was watching the film, I wasn't sure like did she heal the crystal does she just have one like half of the crystal now in there you know i I was wondering about that kind of the whole movie (laughs) like are we gonna end up i did have like there's gonna be another lightsaber at some point there there's it's gonna happen but i thought like half the crystal would be in one saber and half the crystal would be in the quote-unquote skywalker saber but I was off by a little bit because it ended up being Leia's saber instead of the other half of the Skywalker crystal. But anyways, um, yeah, so I was a little confused about that in the movie. I hadn't really seen anything in the visual dictionary about it yet. So I'm glad she put that in there. And I really, really like, you know, from the Joseph Campbell lens, the person who gives the wound has to be the person that heals it. Mm Mm-hmm. For there to be transformation, so the fact that she was the one that healed the crystal when she was one of the people that broke it in the first place, and the fact that she heals ben's wound because she's obviously the one that gave it to him, and plus even his other wounds healed that she gave him, so that was like a plus loved that
1: well, and when you know she she heals the saber, and then Ben is the one who is using the saber at the end to stand up to Palpatine, mm-hmm. right? Like if she doesn't heal that, then if she doesn't heal that wound, she doesn't have her other half to to stand together right. um, to go against that.
2: That's good stuff. <sighs> I really, 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 it, ugh, every time I see Ben Solo chuck his saber away, I just want to be like, no. Heal it. It needs to be healed.
1: I, it bothers. Me. I was. Well,
2: now I'm gonna do that too. It bothers me that he threw it away instead
1: of such a waste of a good oh. saber.
0: Oh my god! I, the I remember the first time he did. I was like, I feel like he might need that in a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and that's he might regret that. That's funny in the book too because he has a thought like maybe he
2: threw my lightsaber away. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, that was funny.
2: That was funny. It made me laugh.
1: I had the most ridiculous thought yesterday like this is not this is completely ridiculous uh when i was watching rise of skywalker because you know at the end when uh ray turns on her saber you very quickly see like it go blue green and then the yellow blade comes up right i was like what if she combined the the uh, Kyber crystals, the legacy saber with the Kyber crystal from Luke's other lightsaber, his green lightsaber. And that's the most powerful lightsaber of, of all. And I was like, what is happening? Who am I? That's the dumbest yeah. thing I've <laughs> ever thought of in my life.
2: No, it's not because the craziest stuff happens in this movie and we're just all like, yeah, oh. all right. I don't think it's crazy at all. And if it happens, you get extra kudos because you were the one
0: that
1: called it. It was, uh.
0: I thought the same thing and then was immediately like, I need to get out, out of this effing thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've lost it. I've done it. I've gone and snapped. <laughs> that's,
1: that's our quarantine problem right there. <laughs> um, One other thing I wanted to, to cover is actually something, Michelle, that you brought up on Unknown Regions that I had not even considered. Um, and that is the moment when uh, the be with me moment when Ray is looking up and she sees through all the ships and things on Exegol into the stars. And you mentioned, uh, that I can't remember the exact words that Ray Carson used, but basically that she, she went to a place that's outside of all the places. Um, and, and you theorized that it's the world between worlds, which I was a we big proponent sense. of, uh, needing to go to the world between worlds in this. So, um, Lindsay what do you think about that possibly being the world between worlds and how if if at all how does that change the story for you
0: it doesn't change the story in the slightest for me it makes so much sense. It still shows just how powerful Rey was, that she was able to enter that place without necessarily the gateway that Ezra needed. Um, And of course then the control that these Jedi of old and the greatest of all times have over the Force. Um, Who knows? Maybe if we wanted to really put a tinfoil hat on, we could theorize that maybe Ahsoka's not dead, because she's been in the place between places before. Um, So it really, it doesn't change the story for me. It's just another nice way to say, kind of like Palpatine going to the, um, his spirit going to the observatory, it's just a nice way to say, hey, fans who have stuck with us for everything, fans who have watched every little piece of this, here's a nice little nod okay
1: i i have Here's a little roar it'll, just for you guys sorry sorry i lost you there for a minute i have to say the whole thing with ahsoka has to be dead because her voice appeared blah 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 even my ahsoka love aside okay i'm gonna take this objectively pay attention dave filoni has multiple times taken a character that we thought had to die and found a way for that character to not die that we were all like, mm, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so just because we hear her voice does not mean that she's dead. Now, she probably...
0: Michelle, is- back <clears throat> me up on this. That does not sound objective to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is completely... You know She's done it multiple times. It's like people freaking out at the beginning of like uh rebels that like um this is kind of just a whole bunch of filler stuff i'm like have you seen clone wars anyways sorry
2: i am furiously flipping through my novel because there is some kind of a reference i can't find it there's some kind of a reference though when and by the way since i saw the movie the very first time i was like snaps world between worlds like i knew immediately that is what is happening right now i never for made sure. that connection and then, and then in the book i was like well duh yeah <laughs> but anyway there's something in here that i remember a reference to like they're not necessarily dead people talking to her i wish i could find it really fast but um uh, i can't find it but I I think that's specifically in there because of Ahsoka, it's got to be. I'm telling you, because they don't want to close. They don't want to say for sure. Yeah, she's dead. Because you know, who no- who knows what the plan is with with her thus far.
1: Well, and I think also but if if it will- is the world between worlds, it makes more sense for why we see or why we hear characters like ala sakura um and these characters mace windu you know these characters who are important in the history of the jedi but are not force ghosts right because it's not necessarily that the force is saying like oh they they actually did keep their consciousness you guys just didn't know it's the force saying like the force is using that voice in order to make a point, right? Because Ray doesn't know who it is. But if you have 10 different voices telling you, you can do this, let's go, you know, rise back up, it's a lot more convincing than if you have like three, right? Or four, I guess, mm. is, which is what mm-hmm. you would have. Um, in, you know, one thing that I liked about the book is not actually hearing the voices because I don't have it memorized exactly what who is saying everything um, because I'm always just trying so furiously to make sure I don't miss Ahsoka. Um, (laughs) So when I actually read the book, it was like I didn't even hear necessarily the correct voice with the correct person, which made me think, like, it doesn't matter what they're saying. It matters that they're saying it, that all the Jedi are coming together, whether... Whether you interpret that as, you know, actually like all of them now live inside of Rey or it more metaphorically, she carries on that legacy. Um, I think it, it being the world between worlds just canonically makes sense for the larger story. So
2: I found in the passage. Do you want me to read it?
1: Of course I do. Yes. Please okay. prove me it's right. It's my I'm favorite, favorite part of the show. They
2: left crack open. They left a crack open in the door and i think it's especially for ahsoka anyway it says presences filled her awareness some recent some ancient some still anchored to the living in a strange way ray didn't understand but she accepted so there you go ahsoka lives
1: ahsoka lives
2: that's
0: <laughs> basically it what i'm always saying comes back to this
1: <laughs> basically what i'm saying guys okay is that all of the rise of skywalker is about how soka is still alive <laughs> okay? That's that's what we come to. Um, if we keep going with this quarantine and I have more time on my hands, uh, I will figure out a theory to prove it. okay? But until then, uh, you can uh, make sure to stay tuned because we have some really good content coming out for you guys uh, in podcast form, in written form, um, and so much more. But before we kind of get into plugs and where you can find us and all of that stuff, let's close it out with uh, old tradition here where we rank the book. But I'm going to switch it up a little bit, okay? A scale of one to five, you're going to rate the movie. And then you're going to rate the book, okay? So we can kind of see how big the difference is for you there, okay? Uh, Let's see. We are talking about the Rise of Skywalker so we will do one to five clone bodies. Oh, no. <laughs> Hold on, guys. We have something else. Okay. I want y'all's opinion on this, and then we'll close. Ray is not Palpatine's granddaughter. Yeah. Okay. Here's why. <laughs> what? Here's why. All
0: right. I, I think she is Hold genetically. On. Wait one second. Let me. Let me find my buckle cuz I got to strap it. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I think Let's he is, hear it.
2: Unfortunately is genetically No, no, no. related
1: to him. No, no, no. Uh, no. No, no, no. Do you consider Rex to be Django Fett's son? Yes or no? <laughs> yes or no? <laughs> because if you do not consider Rex to be Django Fett's son, then you cannot consider Ray to be Palpatine's granddaughter. Now, I will give you they are genetically connected. No doubt. But Palpatine did not raise this failed clone that was Rey's dad, like Django adopted and raised Boba, right? It was somebody who was out there, away from him, didn't have anything to do with him, yes, had the same genetics as him, but wasn't a part of him, right?
0: Do we know he was, like, a failed clone, or did he, his clone body at some point, like, man, this is a family show.
1: (laughs) No, because the, the book, the book says that, like, the body wasn't strong enough, it wasn't, like, I guess it didn't have the the fortitude to hold up carrying Palpatine's <laughs> l- legacy, we'll say.
0: <laughs> that I could saw possibly be the best euphemism ever. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the sweet...
1: Lindsay's dying over there, guys.
2: I know. Lindsay needs a moment. Let's give her a moment. <laughs>
0: you didn't have the fortitude to hold up Palpatine's
1: legacy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's the quarantine. Tell it's the quarantine. It is, crazy. It's crazy. quarantine. is. I'm telling you guys. It is. So, oh, I'm...
2: on. I love this perspective. When I saw your tweet on this, I was like, oh, hang on. Let me think about this. So that's my headcanon
1: is he uses granddaughter to try to manipulate her, but she's not actually Uh a Palpatine. Just like all the clones aren't actually Fets. We don't call them Cody Fett and we don't call them Echo (laughs) Fett or Rex Fett. Five's
2: Fett. Five's Fett. (laughs)
1: Five's Fett. Sounds like a great little Fett family. Just get all the little kids together in a picture. All right, so one to five clone bodies. Lindsay for the Rise of Skywalker movie.
0: I'm going to do five for the movie and five for the book. Ooh. Which, you know how rare it, that is for me.
1: That is very rare. All but right. you know,
0: what? that's what I always say, even when I absolutely love something, that I'm only going to give it four, so that this way when I give something a four, five people know i mean it and i mean it
1: this that means a lot i mean i think you gave master and apprentice a 4 so mm-hmm. whew, okay big words what? michelle start off with a movie and then tell us uh, your ranking for the book
2: what's the lowest i can give it
1: <laughs> <laughs> i mean they're clone bodies so zero clone bodies zero, zero clone, clone bodies really
2: how i feel zero clone bodies for the film okay and because of there were because that there were parts of the book that made me feel good made me feel the way that I wanted to feel seeing the film and didn't and I haven't felt that since then I'm giving the book a 5 just because like I said I still hate the stuff that I hate but she filled in like we didn't even talk about Raylo at all, really. Like the Raylo stuff in this book—that's
1: oh, a whole other dynamic. We're gonna—we're gonna, we're gonna may- have to come back to an episode on that.
2: It made—it just made me feel like, okay, I—I I feel very validated by this novel. That I haven't been crazy for the last two and a half years. That
1: they well, are slow down there. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: haven't been hallucinating something between them that wasn't there. It—it it was definitely there. And she filled in all the missing stuff that I really needed from the film and didn't get. So, that's quite a discrepancy. Yeah. Yeah, that's but a big I one. I'd give it a five because it just made me feel so much better about those things, especially.
1: I'm going to be lame. Um, I'm going to give the movie three clone bodies. And I'm also going to give the book three clone bodies. But that third clone body is, like, stronger. It has more of the fortitude <laughs> to hold Palpatine's legacy. <laughs> Uh, so just to clarify that. So, so we're
2: all over the place. Wow. That's funny. Yeah.
1: Uh, hey, we started that way. We ended that yeah. way, yeah. but, uh, it's funny how we, we all kind of agreed on a lot, but all still, uh, come down so differently on all of this content. So Michelle, if they, uh, if listeners want to jump over and fly into the unknown regions and see what's going on with, uh, you and your son, Colin, tell them where they can find you.
2: You can find us um, on pretty much the major platforms, iTunes and um, what's the green one, Spotify.
1: Yeah, that one. <laughs> Spotify. You're, a, you're so good Stitcher, at this.
2: You know, all those major places. And then I am on Twitter. My personal handle is at Frey Adjacent, and I I'm much more active on that one. Uh, we do have an Unknown Regions podcast twitter handle as well and that is i always have to look because that's how out of touch i am with it it's at unknown pod and then we have an email if you would like to email us at unknown regions pod at gmail.com
1: guys you seriously go over and listen because if you want to just like s- both get really good conversations in-depth ideas and also complete ridiculous goofiness it's <laughs> the place say- to be
2: it's about eighty five percent ridiculous yeah. nonsense, and him calling me dog. And bro. <laughs> bro,
1: bro. <laughs> oh, it's good times. And good maybe
2: fifteen percent of like thoughtful content.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's good, deep, thoughtful content. All right. Thank
0: you, I appreciate that.
1: Lindsay, tell him where you're at.
0: I am over on Twitter at the Lady of Lore. And, of course, in our Facebook group and on our website, clashingsabers.net.
1: So you can head over there to clashingsabers.net to find all of our uh, content, links to the podcast. Uh, We are working on the next steps for our literacy nonprofit um, and Patreon and what all is going to be involved with that. So stay tuned. More information on that. But if you have a teacher, especially a teacher that's on your mind in these hard times where – I'm not asking for any pats on the back here, but teachers are really having to work hard to figure out how to do all of this new stuff and basically learn how to become a teacher in a whole new way. Um, I know there's a lot of people who have a teacher on their mind. So if you would like us to send them books, uh, please go ahead and uh, do the Nominate the Teacher um, on clashingsabers.net. And you can always join the conversation uh, on Twitter at clashingsabers or in the Facebook group, like Lindsay mentioned, the Clashing Sabers Star Wars Community. So until next time, keep reading, keep writing, but whatever you do, don't forget Raylo's canon now.